Live from Rock Vox Recording Studios in Rochester, New York, metal maniacs around the globe unite. Prepare for Metal Mayhem ROC. Now, welcome our hosts, John, the Vernomatic Verno, and Metal Forever Mark. Hello and welcome to another edition of Metal Mayhem ROC. I'm your host, John, the Vernomatic Verno, and tonight we take a trip down heavy metal memory lane. I have the honor to share the story of Ron Stein, a true heavy metal hero. Ron will tell in detail his entire story. From collecting rare and valuable records as a hobby in the mid-70s, to the visualization, development, and eventual opening of a game-changing retail import record store of his own. So let's get it going. Live from Port St. Lucie, Florida, Ron Stein. Hey, John. How you doing? Good, Ron. How you doing tonight? Uh, I'm great for an old guy. Doing good. <laughs> good. Well, uh, first and foremost, how's the family doing with this uh, health climate that everyone's going through? Uh, we're going, we're doing fine here. Uh, Jackie and I are sheltering in place. Uh, she only goes out to the grocery store once a week, and uh, I just go out once a week to uh, get uh, a takeout meal on Saturday night. They, uh, we give them a credit card over the phone. They put it in the trunk, and uh, we're good to go. So other than that, we're sheltering in place, and uh, uh, nobody's getting near us, so we're good. Well, good. I'm glad you mentioned your wife, Jackie, because through the course of the next three episodes of Metal Mayhem ROC, we're going to give you the chance to tell your story in the rock and roll and heavy metal retail business. And Jackie, your wife's been with you the whole ride. So I'm glad you introduced her. At this point, I'm going to let you take over and get the ball rolling. So further ado, Ron Stein and his entire rock and roll story. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Jackie. She uh, plays a very important role as we go forward. But anyway, uh, my story starts uh, in 1969. I went to University of Buffalo. I took a rock and roll history course, and that got me going as a collector of 50s and 60s rock and roll stuff. From that point forward, for the next four or five years, um, whenever the weather was good in Rochester, uh, during the good weather months, I'd be going out uh, doing the garage sales, looking for uh, slabs of vinyl. So we start the story here in uh, 1975, probably the springtime, uh, maybe the early summer of 1975. Uh, I'm going around to garage sales looking for records, and uh, I keep running into the same guy uh, every place I go. And so uh, we started talking, and we uh, kind of, you know, uh, developed a, a friendship. Turned out he collected jazz, and I collected the old rock and roll stuff. Uh, we uh, got together and we decided that uh, we're going to get together and swap records uh, once every couple weeks. Um, it was another set of eyes being able to look for stuff for the other person, uh, getting into places maybe the other person didn't get into. So um, we got together uh, every couple weeks and, and we swapped. That guy's name was Dick Storms. And uh, so uh, we got to be pretty good buddies and uh, we did our trading. Now it turned out that uh, Dick and his wife uh, were antique dealers. He was, uh, he was a mason, uh, and uh, in his spare time, he and his wife were antique dealers, and they had a booth at uh, the uh, flea market that uh, used to be in operation in the old Arlen's building on uh, Jefferson Road across from uh, Southtown Plaza. Okay. So um, 
I would go down there because that was another uh, pretty good place to find records. There were lots of dealers in there and uh, you could find vinyl uh, lying around on the tables in there. I went down there every week and uh, visited with uh, Mr. Storms and his wife and uh, we got to talking. The conversation turned to the idea that uh, we could uh, bring our doubles down there, uh, stuff that we didn't need and uh, stuff that we knew people would want. We could sell them and uh, we could take some of the money that we were going to make, uh, turn around and buy more records. We could put up a sign saying that we bought records and uh, we, uh, as people brought them in, uh, we could keep the stuff that we wanted for ourselves and uh, use the money to, uh, to buy more stuff. So um, it uh, just seemed to be uh, a good outlet for uh, both of our hobbies, uh, given the fact uh, he was an antique dealer. And, uh, you know, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a real good idea. Well, so you, uh, you mentioned that Dick was a Mason at this point. The the records was a hobby. Were you working? Obviously, this wasn't uh, supporting you financially. Did you have other outside work that supported you? Yes. Uh, my degree was in accounting. So. Uh, from the, at that time, I was working as an accountant and data processing manager uh, during the week. So that was uh, that was my uh, my way of making a living. And uh, Jackie was working at various jobs at the time. She worked in banks as a teller and worked at Beneficial Finance in Ridgemont Plaza for a while. So uh, both of us were out in in the working world uh, making a living at that time. And uh, you know, records at that time were just a hobby. Both Mr. Storms and I approached this initially as uh, as hobbyists. We were just a couple collectors who were going to take our stuff to the flea market, make a little money selling our doubles and uh, buy some stuff for ourselves. And uh, that uh, that eventually developed into uh, something where we uh, had business aspirations. So at this point, it's the fall of 76. You guys are doing your weekend on Sundays, the flea market. How would you say business is going? Brisk business. Well, you know. you're 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 a year late there. This is the fall of seventy five. Fall we, of seventy five. Uh, okay. Right. We uh, we we talked about it and uh, got the whole thing going. The uh, first Sunday after Labor Day in nineteen seventy five took a while to get everything together. Uh, Mr. Storms made up a display board that we used in the booth and we had to price everything up. So it took a little while to get everything going. So we finally got going. The, uh, the first Sunday uh, after Labor Day, 1975, and we opened up in the flea market there on Jefferson Road. And how was, how was business? Did you see an increase? It was, was it brisk? It was okay. You know, uh, people gradually found us one by one. And uh, uh, we, at that point, we were maybe doing a couple hundred, maybe 300 bucks on a Sunday. Um, you know, it was, uh, again, it was, uh, it was just uh, at that point a hobby you know, we were having a good time doing it. It was just a fun thing to do and made a couple of bucks. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we were just having a good time with it. Sounds like a little bit of a labor of love. And in 1975, $300 in records, that wasn't that bad, I would imagine. Uh, it wasn't that bad, but you know, it, again, it was not something that, uh, anybody was gonna, you know, make a killing on or make yeah. a living at. It was just a, a hobby thing. Okay, so um, fall of 75 turns into winter of 75. I would imagine you continued through the winter with this operation. We did. We uh, were there every Sunday when the flea market was open. From uh, all the way through January and February of 76, we were doing what we were doing. And uh, then something happened to uh, change the, uh, the whole thing. 
Oh, sounds like drama. What do you have? Well, um, Jack Garner, the uh, gentleman who was the uh, theatrical and music critic for the DNC, had been a customer of ours. And uh, he came down to the flea market and said, uh, geez, you know, what you guys are doing here is really cool. I think I'm going to send a reporter down here to do an article on you guys. So uh, next week, expect to uh, see uh, a reporter from the DNC and, uh, you know, he'll talk to you and take a couple pictures and uh, he'll uh, do a little thing up in the paper on you. And uh, that happened on the last uh, February, last Sunday in February of uh, 1976. Now, Ron, I'm glad you brought that up because we've put together a thumbnail, a gallery page at metalforever.com. So throughout these podcast episodes, this is a three-part series, you could go to metalforever.com and click on Lakeshore Ron Stein, a gallery page, and see any of these visual aids. So So you have the article from the DNC that Jack Garner did. Yeah, that's well, he didn't do it. He sent a reporter down there to do it. But yes, that article will be in the visual aids. Okay, so the DNC article, the reporter comes, he does a little story on your one a day, one day a week flea market record shop. And what happens? Well, what happened was uh, the day that article went in the paper, things totally blew up. I mean, we were just overwhelmed. We were mobbed with people uh, bringing stuff in, uh, buying stuff. Uh, It was amazing. It turned out that we really scratched an itch in the music market in Rochester that hadn't been scratched before, and um, it was just apparently the uh, the right time for the used record business in Rochester to uh, to start. So the article ran. What what happened after that? It caused the business to boom, but uh, the other thing that it caused to happen was events happened due to the fact that. Um, it, it boomed so much that one day, things happened that day that uh, led to events that caused uh, a irreconcilable difference of opinion between me and Mr. Storms as to the, the aims of the business. So um, it was a good thing for that day, but it also led to the uh, split up of the partnership because of irreconcilable differences. Ah, so um, this this fresh partnership uh, was terminated after about six months into it. That's right. Um, geez. So what, what was the next plan? Well, you divided um, the inventory. It's he he bought you out. You bought him out. Was there a monetary divorce or what happened? No, it was just, uh, you know, whatever cash there was uh, got split in half and uh, the inventory got split in half and he took his half and did what he did and uh, I took my half and uh, then I had to decide what I was going to do. Finally, in uh, the beginning of June of 1976, uh, I had been looking around for a spot where I could set up and I found a, uh, a flea market uh, that was in an old church building on the corner of Buffalo and Howard Road in Rochester. And uh, that was kind of a nice setup. Uh, They had a room available down the basement where I could set up. uh, I could leave my stuff there during the week and lock it up and uh, didn't have to worry about bringing it there and taking it home. You know, I had uh, a a customer base that uh, who knew me from from the previous uh, engagement that I had in uh, in Jefferson Road who followed me down there. You know, basically, uh, I kind of picked up where uh, where things left off. 
with Record Archive. That uh, that was a uh, a good uh, situation for a while. Again, it uh, it restored the fun to it. It it kept my uh, contacts going. There were people who were bringing me in, selling me albums um, for resale from the previous business who also found me down there and brought me stuff down there. So um, it, uh, again, it started a little slow till people discovered where I was, but it, uh, it worked very well. We're talking with Ron Stein on Metal Mayhem ROC. He's given us the back history of his retail record career. So we find ourselves in the summer of 76. It sounds like Ron has opened up his own independent record gig at a, um, a flea market. But at this time you have a one day a week. It's a brick and mortar location in a sense where um, you kept the stuff there. There was no moving inventory back and forth every week. You're able to put it away and lock it up for the week. That must've been an advantage in itself, right? Well, you know, it was uh, just, it was, it was a little bit of an advantage, but sort of a lateral move from where I'd been before because it was still one day a week and uh, it was still a hobby thing. So uh, it was, uh, you know, basically on the same level as, uh, you know, what I had been doing before with Mr. Storms. Excuse me. What was the name of the new place? Did, uh, did you name your new endeavor? Yeah, I called it the Phonograph Record Swap Shop. No, has a nice hook. So tell me about that. How did that go? Well, uh, again, it uh, it was a pretty leisurely thing. It went real well every Sunday. Then uh, something uh, started to develop that uh, would lead me to the next thing that was going to happen. A lot of you uh, guys who are uh, into the metal for a long time will remember a uh, gentleman who I think you know as Heavy Metal Bob, who had uh, a shop out in Webster for quite a long time. Bob Stewie. Heavy Metal Bob was... Heavy Metal Records. Yes. Okay. Uh, Heavy Metal Bob was one of my early customers down on the Buffalo Road Flea Market. He came in there every week looking to see if I'd got any hard rock albums uh, of the stuff that was popular at the time, you know, Ted Nugent or uh, Montrose or any of that stuff that was out during the 1970s. Now, Heavy Metal Bob was also a uh, sort of an avid record collector himself at that time, and uh, he shopped all the places around Rochester looking for stuff for himself. He told me uh, about a, a used record store that had opened up on Monroe Avenue um, called Play It Against Sam. It was open for, uh, I guess, when he uh, was uh, first told me about it, it had been open maybe six, eight months or something like that. And it was not being managed correctly. They were having a lot of business trouble, apparently. And uh, they had a sign up in their window that said, Save the Store Sale. Um, so it, they were making it very apparent that they were having problems. And, uh, uh, he told me, well, you know, Ron, you should go down there and check that out because there might be an opportunity for you to get in there and, uh, you know, uh, do something there, uh, on a seven day a week basis. If you could maybe, you know, buy in there or, uh, you know, make a deal with whoever owns that now to, to you know, get in there and, uh, you know, have an interest in it. So, uh, I did that. I went there. And took a look around and saw what was happening there, and it was quite obvious um, they were in a situation where they uh, they had uh, really nothing saleable or very little saleable in the store. Apparently, just from what I understood from the fact that they had a save the sale save the store sale sign in the window, they probably didn't have much money to buy anything. So they were uh, probably in a uh, pretty 
um, dire situation themselves. So at this point, so, it's uh, uh, the fall of 76. Ron, let me ask you, played against Sam. Where was that located? Down in the... It was at 668 Monroe Avenue. It's in a building that's now called Oxford Square. It's uh, right near Monroe and Oxford Street. Okay, so down near the city portion of Monroe Avenue. Yes. Okay. So um, when Bob is telling me this, it's getting more toward the end of 76, the uh, early part of 77, when uh, he's telling me this, and uh, I go down there and I take a look around. So I did that, and uh, I saw the situation the store was in, and I asked uh, the person running the counter, I said, who, uh, who owns this store? They told me, well, uh, the gentleman who started it and owns it uh, lives in Boston. He lived in Rochester when he first started it. And shortly after the store opened, he uh, his job transferred him to Boston. So he was running the store on an absentee basis with uh, employees running it. And uh, therein was the uh, heart of most of the trouble with it. I said, OK, well, let me uh, let me go home and think about this and see what I want to do here. So uh, I got hold of the guy in Boston. I uh, told him, you know, I, I run a flea market business uh, selling used records, and I understand that you might maybe be in the market for another partner or investor for your business. And he said, well, yeah, that is a possibility. Uh, let me, uh, I'm coming back into town in a couple of weeks. Let me take a look at the books, look around in the store, see the situation, and uh, I'll get with you if it looks like there's a, uh, a possibility we might be able to do something so he came into town he looked around he saw that the situation was desperate he called me and said okay ron i think uh we might be able to do some business here well, i need somebody to uh, go ahead let me ask you so looking at the landscape there's a there there's a piece of uh a business here but the fact that there's an absentee owner what kind of obstacles came up what did you discover well, you don't really discover the obstacles until you actually get in there. And uh, first, uh, before I discovered all the things that were going on, I had to get in there. So basically, uh, I, I made a, uh, a deal with the gentleman that uh, I would throw enough money into the business to pay the outstanding bills that were uh, getting past due. And I would bring my inventory from Buffalo Road and I would own 50 percent of the business. So uh, I got in there and I did that. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm uh, managing partner uh, with the 50% interest in a, a seven-day-a-week record store. That's when I uh, uh, had a chance to run it day-to-day -day and see exactly what uh, the situation was and uh, what I could do with it. At this point, are you still doing the accounting gig? Are you still working full yeah. time? Oh, yeah. I still okay. I still have the uh, the daytime job. I go in there. Uh, when I got into Sam's, I got in there and ran the store on Saturday. Jackie came down and, and sat there uh, and helped me do it. Uh, and the rest of the week, there were uh, the employees who were running the store. The gentleman in Boston kind of made it a stipulation that I would uh, try to teach the employees some of my expertise that I picked up in the record business and uh, help them to maybe run the business in uh, a more profitable way. I guess you could say. Uh, and also, um, because uh, Heavy Metal Bob had, uh, he, he was the one who clued me about this, and basically I wouldn't have gotten in there if it wasn't for him. He approached me shortly after I got in there and said, you know, I, I really could use a job. So um, I said, yeah, I kind of owe you a favor. So uh, I hired him and uh, I gave him uh, a, a shift in there for uh, a day or two a week along with the other employees who are already there. How many employees did you inherit when you moved in there? 
there were two there to start with that I kept, and plus then uh, Heavy Metal Bob. So there were three. That really ended up uh, being too many. You don't really see the problems that are inherent in something until you get in there and actually run it on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, it became obvious before too long that there were a number of problems with that business. Number one, it had acquired a, a, a bad reputation from the... Uh, the way it had been run before I got into it. And that was hard to overcome. I turned it around immediately once I got in there to a point. I added collectible records, which they hadn't been selling collectibles in there. It was just pretty much a $3 used album store at that point. So I started selling collectibles, uh, you know, Beatles picture sleeves and uh, 50s out of print albums and uh, a lot of the things that WCMF was playing at the time that uh, were out of print that uh, like the Good Rats Tasty and It's a Beautiful Day and uh, all those sorts of things uh, that were Rochester collectibles. So I added all of that. I got the business to turn around to a point. Uh, I also added uh, new merchandise of the type that uh, I felt would sell down there to the sort of uh, hippie market that was down there, some <laughs> uh, folk blues kinds of things, our Hooli and alligator labels and um, bluegrass types of things, um, singer-songwriter folk and things like that that uh, were, you know, at that time that was yeah. what the neighborhood uh, was into. So I added all of that, and uh, the business improved pretty quickly, but it only was capable of improving to a point, so I found out. Um, because of the fact that it had the, uh, the bad reputation from before, and also because uh, it was a situation where for, the, for a business that was the size that it was and doing the volume that it was, there were too many people digging into it money-wise. And uh, for that reason, it was impossible really to make the kind of reinvestment that you needed to make it really grow. I got it to a point and uh, Another incident happened there with uh, the partner that I had, which incidentally I had made sure this time that I got an ironclad partnership agreement, including uh, what would happen if either partner wanted to exit the business. Okay. Um, an incident happened with him that really uh, made up my mind that uh, this was not a situation I wanted to be in long term. It was not viable. Um, and, uh, I really felt that I wanted to, uh, extricate myself from it. And, uh, again, take the things that I had learned there and do something else on my own. At this, so, at this point, what was the timeline? If you started at January 77, what is this like a year into it? Yeah, um, we're talking about, uh, we're getting to the end of 1978 here. Okay. You, um, it's running its course. It's not all it's cracked up to be. What do you decide to do? Well, uh, first thing I had to do was uh, come to some sort of uh, settlement with my partner in Boston, which I did. Uh, I invoked a, a clause in our partnership agreement that uh, uh, basically uh, got us talking about realistic terms to dissolve uh, uh, the partnership and have it end up with with me because, I mean, it was not practical to have him own it. Uh, that's what caused the problems to begin with. He was in Boston. Basically, the discussion centered around getting the business uh, into my hands. My plan initially at that time was to uh, get it into my hands and then put Jackie in there to run the store during the day and have me run it on the weekend. However, before I really had a chance to do that, the uh, one of the girls who worked there came to me and was very uh, emphatic about the fact that she wanted to buy the business from me. So uh, I thought about it and I said, yeah, well, uh, again, 
it might probably be better for me to start something fresh from the ground up that doesn't have the stigma attached to it that still was attached to Sam's from when it had been mismanaged rather than try to continue with that and uh, struggle with, you know, trying to get past the history of the store. So I said, okay, well, uh, let's do that. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to sell Sam's to the girl who, uh, who wanted to buy it. And then after that, I will decide what I'm going to do next. So that deal consummated, I believe, in uh, the first week of January 1979. So January 79, you do a quick pivot. You buy out the absentee owner, turn around, and you agree on some terms with an existing employee. You're out of Play It Again, Sam, with a uh, three-year payoff plan and a five-mile no-compete. That is correct. Um, you can't really sell somebody a business and then turn around and yeah. open up across the street from them. That's not uh, the, the moral way to do business. So uh, there was a five-mile uh, covenant not to compete. Uh, so basically what I ended up doing was, uh, after I consummated the deal on Sam's, I got a city street map of Rochester, took, the, took a compass and drew a five-mile radius circle, and uh, I looked to see exactly what options were available to me that were outside of five miles from that address. Now, before I did that, I had to first get a store together, uh, and I continued to do that. I continued to go around to garage sales, buy albums. I still was dealing with the contacts I had who were selling me records uh, for resale, and uh, gradually over the next uh you know, year and nine months, I built up an inventory. I got very lucky. I got a store full of records, a whole store full of record store fixtures from an old J.M. Fields department store that was going out of business on Spencerport Road in Rochester. They were they went out of business and auctioned off their entire fixtures right at the time that I needed them. And long story short, I had a friend of mine go in there because I was still working at the time and the auction was during the day. I had a friend go in there and uh, bid on the auction for the entire record department fixtures. No one was bidding against him. I got the entire record department fixtures for a total of ten dollars. Oh, so unheard uh, of. Unheard of. Yeah, I know that, uh, you know, something like that happens and it, it kind of tells you you're doing the right thing. Well, you know? uh, just looking at this timeline, it looks like a perfect segue. The 70s are coming into a close and you're ready for the 80s. So on the next episode of Metal Mayhem ROC, we're going to see what the 80s brings for Ron and Jackie Stein, what direction they go and what groundbreaking events they do. This has been the Vertimatic on Metal Mayhem ROC. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check us out at MetalMayhemROC.com and MetalForever.com for info on upcoming concerts, archive podcasts, and photo pages. Please like, follow, and share everywhere. Catch us next time and keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 